This episode, Brian and I will be covering Captain Marvel 32. Well, most of it. Once again, Brian and I had just too much to say about this. Either we are way too long-winded, or there is more to these books than we I initially thought when I started this show. Either way, we got another two-part episode here. So, this episode we're going to be covering basically the first 12 pages of the issue. And so, when I do the synopsis, by the way, that's where I'm going to end. So the synopsis is just going to cover the stuff we cover this time. When I do next episode, which is going to be the remainder of the conversation about it, I will put in the remaining part of the synopsis. Alright, I think that's all I have to do. On with the show. Hello, welcome back to Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and coming back again, because we are covering Captain Marvel, is Brian. Hello. Hey, Brian. Howdy. And Al literally means, welcome back. I'm feeling a distinct feeling of deja vu here, brother. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I don't wish to, uh, to cast aspersions or anything like that, I just... I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting a distinct feeling like we've, uh, like we have uh, walked this path before. Done this rodeo. We've played this yes. rodeo before. <laughs> we have indeed passed this way again. Before we get to it, uh, I do just want to start off on a slightly sad note. Al and I are recording this uh, the evening of March 19th, and mm. just before I signed on, like literally, literally, as I was reaching for the the microphone to sign on to Skype and, you know, we're going to do this podcasting thing that we do so uh, well, I uh, learned that Bernie Wrightson had passed away, and that is quite a blow. That is a serious loss to the world of comics and entertainment in general, because he was about as as massive an influential talent as there was. Oh, God, yeah. So uh, Bernie Wrightson gone way too soon. He was only 68. Um, he was ill, something to do with complications following brain surgery that he had a few months ago or something. Yeah, really brain cancer. Details. Oh, okay. Well, but we, we, we lost him today, and uh, I raise my pint of Guinness and uh, swampy uh, farewell to uh, great, the late, great Bernie Wrightson. Uh, here, here. Real, real loss. A monstrous so I, farewell. Yes, a monstrous farewell indeed. Because he was great with the monsters. Oh, boy. The, like, the greatest horror artist. Like, him and Mike Plug, the greatest horror. They define horror in the 1970s. I mean, as much as I like, like, Gene Collins' run on uh, uh, Tomb of Dracula, for instance. I mean, that was ma- artistically magnificent. But really, when it comes down to the night, the great monster comics of the 1970s, and that was a bit of a heyday for them, mm-hmm. it, it's like the look and feel of those comic books was Bernie Wrights and, and Mike Plug. Yeah, Bernie it, still had a book coming out a f- just a few years ago called Frankenstein Alive Alive. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I remember you and I actually didn't we didn't we discuss that book very briefly? Uh, in I one believe of our so. Four color fanboy podcasts, uh, oh so many years back. I believe so, and I know. Well, I am trying to purge out a lot of comics and kind of buy or replace them as digital because, well, I don't have. I'm not a single person. I don't have for them anymore. Mm-hmm. But those are two I'm keeping, and I mean, it's not just because of today. I was always planning on keeping those because they are freaking beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. So anyway, a sad note there, but I just wanted to get that on the record uh, because we are part of this great podcast, comics podcasting community, which I guess makes us part of the larger comics community. And so I felt that was uh, important to acknowledge. No, I'm glad you did. Also, just to mention real quick, uh, even though it's not comics, uh, it is culturally significant as well. Chuck Berry as well. Exactly true. And he has an album a new album forthcoming, believe it or not. Really? The man was 90 years old, and he still recorded uh, an album with his uh, sons and uh, his backing band, and he was still performing right up to the end. Good for so, him. God, God bless Chuck Berry. I was never a tremendous fan. That kind of old-school rock and roll was never my jam, so to speak. But all respect to what the man represented and accomplished and innovated and throughout. Created. Yeah, exactly. I mean, throughout his what- life. It's one thing to go, yeah, I can be a rock musician, but it's another thing to go, I'm going to create rock music. Exactly. No, no, no lie. That is absolutely a true statement, and all all respect to, to, to the late, great uh, Chuck Berry. Um, on happier news, unrelated to the topic at hand, but still about comics, but just to kind of ease us into back, back into the happier news, I am over the moon as a comic book fan. Because my uh, one of, if not my uh, favorite book running right now, uh, as I believe I've mentioned on prior episodes of this podcast, apropos of nothing, is Aquaman, Rebirth Run, uh, written by Dan Abnett. And I just discovered this week that my current favorite comic book artist, the Croatian genius Stepan Sejic, uh, best known for his uh, naughty but magnificent Sunstone graphicals, um, as well as his run on uh, Witchblade and Nine Aphrodite and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. His work for Top Cow, basically. But he is my absolute favorite artist going right now. I am an absolute unmitigated fanboy for him. And I just discovered that he uh, will be the regular artist on Aquaman starting this June. So really? it's two great tastes that go great. Together and I, for one, um, could not be more revved up to, in anticipation uh, for that. Oh, uh, awesome! For that, yeah, for that. To so begin. the favorite, your favorite artist is coming on to what's one of your favorite books. It's like they knew. It's like they knew. Yeah, it's not even like you have to like guess I'll pick that up now because he's on it. It's like oh, this is even better. <laughs> yeah, I'm already reading it, and the art, which I've, I've been, I've been thinking they've had a rotating cast, you know, because it ships bi-weekly. So yeah. they've had a rotating cast of uh, artists since Rebirth uh, began. It's been uh, Philippe Brionis and uh, Scott uh, Eaton and um, uh, one other guy I can't remember. Uh, Brad Walker, I think, is his name. Anyway, they've been, uh, they've been, you know, doing really fine work, and I've been a fan. But now it's just going to blow the back of my head off, and so I'm like super happy. It's going to be That's amazing. Awesome. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That starts this summer. So we had a little bad news, but also a good news if you're me. Mm-hmm. And on that note, uh, we can oh, uh, real get, quick though. Did you yeah. read Rebirth then? The first Rebirth? Were you reading that one? Um, the original uh, DC Rebirth one shot. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. The one yeah, with Jeff Johns with all the different artists. Oh, I've been, I've been, I've been on top of the uh, Rebirth. I mean, I haven't been reading everything. Who has the time? But no. uh, I've been, I've been hanging with the good you know, um, eight to ten series 
uh, under the Rebirth banner. So, uh, you know, um, Aquaman is not the only one. I've been uh, really digging uh, both of Superman comics, uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, Greg Rucka's uh, writing on Wonder Woman has just been fantabulous, and half the issues have been drawn by uh, Nicola Scott. And if anyone out there is listening uh, to this podcast and has been reading Wonder Woman and has been absolutely digging on the every other issue merge uh, uh, marriage of writing by Greg Rucka and art by Nicole Scott, mm-hmm. I cannot recommend in high enough terms, in strong enough terms, they do a creator-owned book for Image called Black Magic that is only five or six episode issues in. They, they did five or six issues, reached the end of the first arc, and then they took uh, the break, as many of the creator-owned books for Image will do. Yeah. Um, so they haven't resumed yet, but that first five or six issues was some of the best comics reading I've done in the last couple of years, and I cannot recommend it in high enough possible terms. So I was happy to see them working on Wonder Woman as well. But yes, to get back to your original point, hmm. I have been down with the Rebirth, and yes, uh, it all started with that first Rebirth issue, which I, which I enjoyed. Oh, good. Insofar as I was able to follow it, being at the time a relative newcomer to DC, I was really only picking up about you know, two out of every three continuity references, but... No, I get it. Yeah, no, um, I'm beh- well behind the Rebirth. I just haven't had the time to. I mean, like I, I said. To, yeah, I read the first few issues of a couple of them, but that's it. But, real quick, just before we get to the meat of the podcast, mm-hmm. did you see, it looks like DC is into look, possibly going to be going the uh, digital route like Marvel with Unlimited, like a subscription oh. service. That would be phenomenal. I would love that. I would be all over that. Oh, that I mean, you and me both, man. Because you know, then I could then I could get into like um, as you and I were discussing before we we rolled on the podcast as some bonus material may or may not surface at some point. But as we were discussing, I am a relative newbie to to DC and doing deep dives into some of the back back catalog especially the mid 80s stuff if that was to appear online in any sort of unlimited kind of format oh i would be on that like white on rice my friend especially like a lot of people saying more like marvels and not like you know less like the one that comiXology has right where it's just kind of like the first trade or so of a bunch of series as opposed to marvel where it's like here's avengers all of it all of it every issue of avengers ever go to town all right don't mind if I do. What? Legion of Superheroes? All of it? Thank you very much. Don't mind if I do. Thank yeah. you. Now, I mean, if they go the way Marvel did, it'll take a little while to get to that point, because I know Marvel adds stuff all the time, so like you might yeah. get like, you know, oh, there's only five issues in this run now, and they're like, it's issue 1, 12, 20, 30, and 60. But, you know, no, they eventually still, fill it out. And they do delay it, like they they do stagger it, like the new issues don't come out for a while, um, don't get uh, yeah. them for a while. But I don't care. Said, yeah, but that said, I mean, they started with a pretty good, uh, a pretty, uh, as I understand it, they started with a pretty heavy offering uh, to begin with, and you know, given how much, and and I also think that Marvel was was a sort of um, first um, early adopter uh, yeah. of that sort of technology, wherein they were starting that out right around the time that Comicsology was starting out. So I think it was it was partially like a deliberate uh, rollout, sort of a staggered rollout, just to keep people. People on the hook, as it were, yeah, which I, is fine. Yeah, I believe because I know Marvel had it for at least 
it's been well over five, six, seven years, five, six years. Exactly. But I think it was also that they just didn't have this stuff digitized yet. Yeah. And if you look like a lot of stuff was turning up, you know, because they also brought the stuff to Comixology as well. When you look on Comixology and you see the absolutely mind blowing amount of material that DC already has digitized on Comixology, I won't lie. I would kind of hope for a more comprehensive uh, initial rollout for a DC Unlimited kind of offering. But that's just me. Yeah, true. At the very least, I'm like, I want to go on there and go, ooh, look, Action Comics 1, you know, the original one, not the newer version. Yeah, yeah. Action no, Comics 1 to 50 is on here. Awesome. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I would hope if... I'm sorry, go on. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, eh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'd share your enthusiasm about that. The Golden Age stuff has never really been my jam. But if if, if it floats your boat, hey. Well, I'm thinking more of a mixture, like, oh, look, Action Comics 1 to 50, and then here's the first 30 issues of Just the League of America, and then here's a, a series from the 80s, like, here's the whole run of that. Like, you know, if they at least give us a start off with some with some things that are chunks yeah, or exactly. runs. The, you know. the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams run on Batman from the late 60s, yes, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like maybe if they're not doing everything at once, but it's like, okay, give us a couple, make sure to have a couple things for us where we can go, well, at least I can read, you know, this five-year stretch of Detective Comics from 76 to 81. Precisely. I just discovered that Alan Davis was an artist on Detective Comics for a while. Oh, yes, he was. In, in the 80s. And I'm like, oh, oh. Okay, there's something I must I must find and read because as you were poking fun at me for on Twitter, I'm also a bit of an Alan Davis fanboy. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. If you read uh, Batman Year Two. <laughs> mm-hmm. It, yeah, the Fear it, the Reaper. Yeah. Yeah, the artists are Alan Davis because he leaves partway through, mm-hmm. and Todd McFarlane. Yeah. Yep. High eighties uh, royal art royalty at that point. Yeah. Todd McFarlane started out on Infinity Inc. Wow. Now, was that before he went over to Marvel? Oh, yeah. Because okay. then he went to uh, Batman, the tech, you know, doing Batman stuff, and then he went right to Spider-Man. Yes, yes, and then he became a superstar. Yeah, and... he got started there, and so did Liefeld. Liefeld got started on Hawk and Dove. Yeah, that's true. I remember that, but Liefeld also sucks. McFarland does not. Liefeld does. Yes, I know, but I, that's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. That's fine. Although, to be fair... If I was, if I had a choice of meeting or hanging out with one of them, I would probably pick Rob. I would oh. I'm sure I would pick Rob Liefeld over McFarlane because I'm pretty I'm sure I've heard McFarlane is a dick. Oh, I've heard the same thing, and I'm making no judgments on either of them, frankly, as uh, human beings. I'm just saying that I have read great whopping chunks of McFarlane's work, especially from the 80s. You know, for instance, uh, his run on Incredible Hulk with Peter David, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. I have read great walking chunks of his work with with just fine enjoyment, whereas Liefeld's art is so weird and off-putting. I literally, it doesn't matter how good the writing is, I literally can't live for long stretches of time, and that is saying something, given how writer-centric I am as a comic book fan. So, I'm making no judgments on them as human beings, strictly on the appealingness of their artwork. That's all I'm saying. But yeah. anyway, people do come here for our opinions, which we're gratified for. But yeah, Captain Marvel. Oh yeah, Thanos. <laughs> that guy. That that friggin' guy. Well, we, we don't want Thanos to get too big ahead. He's a movie star nowadays. This is true. This is true. Played by none other than the, than the great Josh Brolin. So yeah, we should uh, we should keep that keep that mad god in his place. Matt, you know, he got mad because Mikey kissed his girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um so yeah captain marvel 32 
We probably um, should, yeah, so we're back for that, so we probably should put in a synopsis right about here. That sounds since we're like actually going to get into it. Captain Marvel 32, Thanos, the Insane God. Written by Jim Starlin, with an assist by Mike Friedrich. Penciled by Jim Starlin. Inked by Dan Green. Colored by Jim Starlin. Lettered by Dave Hunt. Edited by Roy Thomas. Cover by Jim Starlin and Klaus Janssen. Cover dated May 1974. Original sale date February 12, 1974. And cover price was 25 cents. Captain Marvel, Iron Man, Mentor, Eros, Drax, and Moondragon have just witnessed Thanos use the Cosmic Cube to abandon his physical form and become an actual god, Big G. They see him on the view screen, a face in the stars. Drax goes nuts and attempts to kill Thanos, which destroys the room they're in and injures Moondragon. Mentor takes her to medical care while the remaining three attempt to reach Isaac, the supercomputer that runs Titan, to find out if there's anything they can still do about Thanos. Their shortcut through the Eternity Tree backfires as Eros is taken out, leaving Marvell and Iron Man. On their way to Isaac, the two go over what had happened so far, attempting to both figure out if Thanos had shown any weaknesses and also give Starlin a chance to do a recap for new readers. Annoyed they are still resisting him, Thanos creates demons out of the metal and concrete walls to deal with the two heroes. Despite them doing some spectacular damage to the demons, since they are not living beings, it barely slows them down, and soon only Marvel is left, while a robotic form appears behind him. Outside in space, Drax continues his attacks on Thanos, who, remember at this point, is just in a giant intangible face in the stars. To mess with his head, Thanos allows Drax to remember everything. He was once an Earthman named Arthur Douglas, driving home from an Elvis concert in Vegas along with his wife and daughter. Thanos was doing a scouting mission on Earth and destroyed their car just in case they saw him. Arthur and his wife died. His daughter Heather was taken in by Mentor and became Moondragon. That isn't all Mentor did. Along with Cronus, they stopped Arthur's soul from reaching the afterlife and put it into a body they formed from the ground, creating Drax the Destroyer. Any hope that Thanos had about this affecting Drax were dashed, as Drax's obsession with killing Thanos is still all-consuming. Okay. And uh, interesting side note about the cover, real quick, before we get into looking at the cover, uh, is that this image was used for the cover of the Captain Marvel by Jim Starlin Complete Collection trade paperback that was recently uh, released. Okay, yeah, I remember seeing something about that one. They've touched it up. Yeah, they touch it up. So, but that's this image of of Cap of Cap looking at his his absolute Starlinist. Oh God, yeah, um, Starliniest, Starliniest, Starlinest, Starlinest, Starlin most Starlinesque. Uh, that is the that is a superly uh, superlatively typical Starlin face. The flowing blonde locks, although the head ocean above his head. Yeah, though his head looks a little small. For that body. Okay, okay, no, that is fair. That is fair. And he's got energy crackling between his nega bands. Yeah. But it is yeah. still a beautiful... I do like this cover. I like the way his body divides the cover into the three different panels. And we've got this old school movie marquee thing. You know, see Marvel beset by deadly demons. Fear for Rick Jones alone again. You know, it's like that kind yeah. of thing, you know? Bonus, the awesome origin of the Dead Dread Destroyer. And the Dead Destroyer, frankly, um, as we learned oh, yeah. in this issue. He's a little bit uh, of both. Yeah, but we'll get there. We'll get there when we get there. 
Um, he is still the most cosmic superhero of all. And spoiler alert, this is a little bit of the end of an era because this is the last uh, issue that is scripted by Jim Starlin. For the next two issues after this, he does a little bit of everything else. He plots it, he pencils it, he colors it, but he no longer scripts it after this one. Steve Englehart starts to weasel his way onto the book. Oh, really? Because, well, this one actually has a, it says writing assist Mike Friedrich. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Most of the writing on this one, it's my understanding from what I've uh, looked up online, most of the writing on this one was still uh, Starlin. But starting on the next uh, um, issue, issue 33, Starlin is right. cutting and Engelhart is doing the scripting. You're right. I, bl- I just brought up 33 on my, my uh, tablet. It says Jim Starlin, plot, pencils, pigments. Yep. <laughs> Steve Englehart words. Yeah, exactly. So so it's a little bit of the end of an era because Starlin, as we've been doing this this series and this podcast, uh, I've gotten sort of used to Starlin's, well, let's face it, frankly, over-the-top tone, and uh, I think I might miss it. Yeah. But well, we'll see what happens when we get to that next one. Yeah. But yeah. for now, we're here with Thanos, the insane god. Exclamation point. Sorry. Yep, that's fine. And we start (laughs) off, and forgive us, everybody, but pull back the curtain. We recorded this already, and it was gone. Yeah. It didn't record. We're trying it again. We have two things recording. Each of us have, like, I have one thing recording, and then I have something recording just me, and Brian has something recording just him. Because, God, if something goes wrong with all that, and we don't have this again, we're not recording a third time. I mean, no one's going to hear us but you, obviously. We're not recording a third time. I'm just going to do this in five minutes. Thanos is insane. Captain Marvel goes, ah! Rick Jones pisses him off. Issue's over. Done. There was some punching. Don't forget the punching. That'll be the episode. That'll be the the episode. (laughs) If this goes wrong, that will be the episode. But yes, we have walked this path before. This is not our first time attempting to podcast about this episode. We have the uh, Cosmic Disco going on here, first of all. Yes, yes. I believe we're supposed to be getting some sort of... They're shaking, they're off balance, they are reacting physically to the appearance of... The crew is shaking the set of the Enterprise. But you are absolutely right that without word balloons and narration, without any text, or even you're shaky right. lines, it looks like they're all so dancing. I mean, without there's no shaky lines. It's true. It's true. So I think I think we're more supposed to take it as a sort of physical reaction. Um, is that why Moon Dragon has jazz hands? Yes, that is exactly why Moon Dragon <laughs> has jazz hands. And I love and this page so much. It's it, so it insane. Really, it really is kind of bizarre and sort of yeah no it's it's really is one of the weirdest comic book images i've ever clapped as on in my life now that you bring it to my attention i am it needs to be pointed out it's still a nicely composed page and the eye is really done to the orange outline um a one technique that we are that we have seen starlin start to pioneer in a way but the orange outline of Thanos' head against the Kirby-esque starscape on the monitor screen that is clearly meant to depict that he has become one with the universe, kind of. He is create. He, he has not just gained control of creation, but he now is creation. Your eye is drawn to that, so frankly, it has taken me until just now to really appreciate what you're talking about, about the weirdness of the rest of the page. Yeah, now to be fair... 
all pretty much all these characters are probably have met at some point gods like little g gods thor hercules those yes. type of characters yes. who are basically just really 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 powerful and long-lived like super characters but you know they're called gods because usually because mm. they're worshipped as gods this is the first time i think any of them has encountered not only a somebody with the power of basically capital g god but right. a mortal like themselves becoming turning into that so to be fair i don't know what my reaction would be if i was there for that my reaction might just be stick my hands up in the air and start waving around screaming back and forth and a snapshot of that would look really bizarre quite possibly i'm still going to go on record as though believing that you would probably not disco dance mm-hmm. that said looking at this page now in light of that in 1974 is this uh, early 1974, thereabouts. This is, hold on, I don't have the shipping date, but the cover date's May 74. And if I was at a discotheque, and I was disco dancing, and I saw some dude with a cape and a big, wide belt with a skull on it, as Drax is rocking right here, I would probably think that was actually pretty badass. I have to agree with you. I'm just saying, I, I'm digging that. Yeah, so, I mean... All of them, except for Mentor's outfit. That's a little blah. The orange with the green cape. It's like, meh. Yeah, but no, and and Moon Dragon as well with a high collar and the the bald head and the gloves and all the skin showing. Yeah, no, that would be be pretty impressive as well. Yeah, those, that's good. It's just Mentor's like a little, but that's like Dad showing up. Like, oh, God, Dad, go home. Oh, Dad, why are you here? Oh, my God. Please go home. Yeah, exactly. So... (laughs) Um, but for and and see and this is still so this is this is a feature of these 1970s uh, Marvel comics that we've commented on before on this podcast where uh, it's different from the 1960s I think like the Stanley Jack Kirby era Fantastic Four and Thor and all them they had a certain rhythm a certain voice to them and now we are in the Roy Thomas era. And these early 70s Marvel comics, they have a certain, I think, voice to them. We, 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 you see it here on page one. I just want to point this out real quick. Uh, on page one, the time, the present, the place, an observatory on Titan. Like, it, it, it's conversational. It's actually a little bit meta mm-hmm. where you're, you're sort of breaking the fourth wall and directly addressing the reader in a way that is sort of unique to this time period, which is why... That having said that, which is why I love that the, the narration slash page turn segue into page two is um, we'll explain things as we truck along. But first, action. action. And it's almost like an on page, literal on page upfront sales pitch. And I, I'm trying to decide if I love that or if it seems a little desperate. Maybe a little both. OK, perhaps, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I, the more I read the, of the things of this time period, the more I really do completely love the Bronze Age, at least for Marvel. Oh, yeah, no. It, the, bronze, the Bronze Age in general, and Bronze Age Marvel in particular, is, is a unique phenomenon in comic book history. There is no other time in history where you could have had that voice, where you could have created characters like Deathlock and Killraven. Mm-hmm. Um, where or Drax the Destroyer, quite frankly, or Moon Dragon, uh, or Moon Dragon, where you have these psychedelic, um, semi semi chemically altered sort of 
concepts and yet it's sort of like living in three or four worlds all at once trying to be trying to be appeal to the college age crowd trying to be appropriate for the pre-college age crowd if you know what i mean yes um trying to straddle all those lines and do all those things and still almost you get the sense that they're also like literally trying to entertain themselves at the same time yeah so there's this sort of it's so multifaceted and it's working, it's chugging along and running so many different cogs in the machine at the same time. You're right. It's, it's unique and it's beautiful and it, it's just kind of awesome. Yeah. And to go along with the, with the ones you just mentioned also on the other side, uh, well, pretty much everything Kirby did over there, all the fourth, oh, the world, fourth stuff. world. Yeah. Yeah. The and, Harry's and dark side and inner gang and all that stuff. And Metron. And don't forget after that, um, Commandy and yes, uh, yes. the Demon. OMAC, One Man Army Corps. Yes. Uh, um, I think that was another absolutely. one he did. Mm, yeah. There might have been one other one he did. I forget now, but uh, yeah. Yeah, the Demon, OMAC, Commandy, and. And talk about three completely different things. Yeah, yeah. No, well, he Kirby was Kirby was a force unto himself. There was, God, there yes. was no one quite like him. No one quite like him. No. But yeah, so. Oh, and yeah. Howard the Duck. Oh, Howard the Duck. No, no, um, no, no mention of the uh, 1970s in comics can be complete without a mention of Howard the Duck. Wah, so, wah, trapped in a world he never made, which is which is a construction I never really fully understood. I never really, to this day, I have tried to look it up, and I really can't find if if it's a reference to something or any sort of antecedent or sort of. Uh, provenance for the phrase a world he never made the bronze age mystery box grown ass geeks the regularly scheduled programming these shows and others to come can all be found on the Pop Culture Palace Presents podcast, the official podcast for the Pop Culture Palace website. Find it on Podium, iTunes, and thepopculturepalace.com starting June 2017. life that has just it has vexed me if like, anyone listening to this knows where that phrase originates or what exactly it means let us know. Uh, email us or or tweet at us or in some way shape or form share that knowledge with us because it's vexing me that's all i have to yeah. say because it's not like any of us are born and like oh well you created this world it just it, it, it's so weird it's so odd i just it preys on my mind <laughs> Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome to the world of Ryan. Yeah. Um, anyway, carrying. On. Get your seatbelts on. Yeah, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Yeah. We've done this issue before. We have to keep this interesting for ourselves as well. Just yes, like sir. I said, the guys at Marvel was clearly trying to entertain themselves. We're trying to entertain ourselves. Damn it! So we're gonna damn make it. this as interesting as we can. And if it takes Howard the Duck to keep it interesting, then damn it, that's what we're gonna do. Howard the Duck makes everything interesting. What are you talking about? Yes. Wog. Well, so, page <laughs> so, two. 
So, yeah, so Destroyer, like we said, we got action because Drax, of course, sees Thanos, has to kill Thanos. Yes. It's really very simple. It's, it's, it's unbelievably Pavlovian and, and actually kind of, I can see why in the 80s they decided to make him this, like, monosyllabic, comedically idiotic brute because he really is a thoughtless, like, even here, in full possession of his mental faculties, he's a thoughtless brute. He's an addict. A- and his yes. addiction is killing Thanos. True. And he True. is a complete 100% addict. He has no reason that he has never hit bottom, and he will never stop. He, it's Everything else is fine and dandy, and it's all good, and can kill Thanos. And all of a sudden, you know, he'll knock everyone over and push you onto train tracks and blow up your house. He don't care. No, no, it's true. Drax has a fever. He has a fever for killing Thanos. <laughs> Not quite more cowbell, but you, I, hopefully you got what I was going for there. <laughs> but yeah, so he basically almost kills everybody. Okay. Which, which you know, yeah. And, and weirdly, no one's really mad at him for it, which I'm like... Well, I find think... a little a little troubling, but okay, that's all. Well, Iran does call him a maniac. Uh huh. Okay, no, that's true. Those two maniacs. No, that's right. They are a little uh, mad and and true. I think they're more concerned of like, let's get out of here before we die. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so, then, they, uh, so they have to get out of here. And as far as they know, he might be dead. Right. So whatever. Besides, and then of course, Moon Dragon gets taken out so easily. Just right. Brought, you know, here's here's. Real quick observation, though. I find it very interesting. The narrative box in panel four on page two says, but one remains calm throughout the chaos. Mentor, former ruler of Titan. And that narrative box is literally meeting up with the only uh, jagged edge speech balloon on <laughs> like the entire page. Right. So, of all, like, they say he remains calm, yet he's the only person on the entire page who actually yells. So uh, I, I, I'm not sure what to make of that. Just an observation. <laughs> so the observatory gets kaboomed, katoomed, actually. Katoom. Take a drink. And is no more. <laughs> and at that point, we move on. And then, yeah, Moondragon gets taken out by a, by a stray bit of flying debris because that's just pathetic. But, you know, early 70s comics, that's what we do. Yeah. Um, Got to get the girl out of the way somehow. Which is fantastic. I mean, that's in, the only thing that makes that really interesting to me. I mean, yes, obviously it's something of, a, of an artifact of its time, whatever. I, I, I do make it a sort of personal policy to try not to judge them on that score like over much because you're sort of bound by the by standards of your time. But Starlin created Moondragon. Starlin literally, okay, he didn't, let's be fair, he didn't create Moondragon. Starlin adopted Madame McEvil and co-opted Madame McEvil and remade her into Moondragon, the well, with, boss. With Steve Gerber. Right, exactly. He, did, he had to have done this deliberately, right? So uh, you can't sit here and think to yourself, he hated being forced to use Moondragon, and so he had to get her out of the way somehow. So I do actually find this plot choice a little puzzling, but uh, I suppose well, we have to I mean, go with it. He, the point, whole point here is he's trying to get rid of everybody till it's just okay. Marvel. I mean, if you oh, notice, I see what you're saying. I see what you're. You're right. You're right. Remembering uh, what we, how the plot of this issue goes from when we did it before. You're right. Because we you're have right. this, and Mentor takes her. So we got Iron Man, Starfire, well, Eros. It's still just Eros, and um, mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, and then the trees attack, and they take away Eros, which is kind of right. creepy, actually. Right. 
And then we just have Iron Man and Captain Marvel, and then Iron Man gets knocked out during the fight. So, like, you know, you go slowly down, so it's just Captain Marvel. So I know he's doing that for everybody. Everyone else at least gets to fight or do something. Moondragon just goes, so what do we... Oh, I'm out. <laughs> oh. Everyone else but the old guy mm-hmm. and the girl get to at least go out fighting. Like I said, I understand those are the things at the time. I'm, I will still, if I see it, I'll point it out. No, exactly, exactly. But, you know, you judge, you know, you know, I mean, I would assume as if Jim Starlin doing a story now would probably do it a little, di- maybe do it a little differently. But 1974, 25-year-old Starlin, probably that's the way he would do it. I understand that. Yeah. It's just I'm pointing that out cool. that that's how they get taken out. I'm going to take care of the sick girl because the girl got hit by something, got hurt. So now Thanos is uh, gloating. And uh, one theme that I remember us hearing repeatedly when we did this issue before, and we will hit upon it again, but one of the benefits of doing this issue again, of podcasting this issue for the second time, is uh, when I do remember those themes that we sort of noticed and formed our opinions of them as we were doing the podcast the last time, well, now we're kind of aware of them from the outset, so we can take, in this case, I'm taking note of it, this is its first manifestation. We're going to note over the course of this issue how Thanos, yes, technically he is a god, if not god himself at the moment, but he's not very good at it. No, and, and they even mentioned that, yeah. Right, and that, they, that will prove to be his um, weak point, the, the point of vulnerability that gives the heroes hope over the course of this issue. But here is the first sort of indication of that, the first illustration of that, because here we get two panels of Thanos just taking the time to gloat over the fallen body of his opponent. And while that is completing with the character of Thanos, it is inefficient behavior for a god, and that is... I'll leave it at that. Yeah, you would more expect... If he actually did it right... Right. You would more expect, basically, Thanos to be like um, Mastermind in the Dark Phoenix saga, when she makes right, him part exactly. of the universe, and it's uh-huh. just, you like, you'd expect Thanos just become one with everything, and just, like, his consciousness is spread throughout the galaxy. He's like, oh, Ooh. I get it, and boom, gone forever. Well, little thought here, though. Check this out. And I just had this thought, right, just now, for the very first time. Remember that one of the running ideas at this stage of Captain Marvel by Jim Starlin is how Cap has become cosmically aware. He was given this sort of consciousness-expanding, cosmic oneness, Buddhist kind of vaguely whatever thing, right, by that entire experience that he had with Eon. Yeah. And here I see, I actually see it now. Starlin is literally casting Thanos as Cap's opposite number. Because you just, and I just picked up on it when you said, like, mastering, sort of becoming one with the entire universe. In this situation, Thanos here is given the same opportunity in a way that Captain Marvel had to become cosmically aware. And yet he is stubbornly remaining petty and um, sort of body, like, or, or at least self-bound, if you will. I can't think of a better way to put that. But it, it is actually a fabulous sort of fatal flaw in the Greek tragedy sense. If I you didn't... think to your high school drama 
yeah. classes or whatever. I didn't think about that until you said no until now. But yeah, you're right because Captain Marvel gets cosmically aware. It changes him. It becomes because, it makes him a better hero. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 accepts these gifts. He basically lets it he absorbs it and he it changes him. Thanos is just using them as a tool. Right. And that's all they are to him. He does not make Thanos any different. Right, exactly. It changes. Thanos is still the one, same. One quit. And that, is, that actually, it's a juxtaposed opposition. And now that I perceive it, oh man, way to go, Starlin. Nicely done. Okay, cool. Yeah, Captain Marvel gets these new tools and he's learning how to use them. Thanos gets these new tools and goes, Oh yeah, you're right. I can hit harder. I can hit harder than a regular hammer of this, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. Just using it to beat that's things. It. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, so oh, that's cool. They, yeah, so they continue on through the shortcut through the Eternity Tree. Will save precious seconds. No, no, it won't. It will actually hold on to you there. Yes, because the tree's attack. You, I guarantee you. As we're moving on to page four here, I guarantee you that this is not the way that Starlin intended this in any way shape or form because near as i can tell japanese hentai tentacle porn was not a thing in 1974 <laughs> that said i do find it i absolutely deliciously ironic that, that it's eros who a decade later will become famously become the rapiest of avengers is in this instance stopped by basically the tree-based tentacle monster now, <laughs> that's funny. just an irony that that Starlin would not have been aware of at the time, but that I'm loving. By the way, do you think, would you have gotten the impression, if you were reading this brand new in the 70s? Yeah. Would you have gotten the impression that maybe he was dead? Um, I, I don't know. I, I. Um, it would it would definitely be you're saying after he disappears up into the tree after he gets yanked up into the tree because he's not just left there to struggle and go don't worry I'll get out eventually but you go on ahead it's right um it's like it's too late and he's gone right and he's gone I mean as I suppose I would definitely entertain that possibility in my mind but I think at best I could interpret it here uh, attempting to interpret it with fresh eyes, you know, in the in, in a 1974-ish kind of way. I think I would probably think of think it was at the very least ambiguous, like, we don't know, but it's po- certainly possible. Of course, that's also, um, now, now that I have seen that, and I've noticed that, which I kind of didn't notice the first time around, um, I kind of skipped ahead to the next panel and sort of missed that little, that detail of him getting yanked up into the tree. I'm actually kind of now... Um, Especially if that wordless panel, that la- which is the one you're talking about, that last panel on the top tier yeah. of War of Marvel and Iron Man flying away with there's no caption, there's no word balloon, it's just quiet. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. But um, now that that image has also now put me in mind of Charlie Brown's kite eating tray, and I am now having uh, unintentional funnies in my head, and I'm trying. <laughs> not to. Uh, so there's that. Uh, it's an arrow seeding tree. Anyway, so we move on. The no, it's a titan lightsab- tentacle porn tree. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Now, I think getting the sense of what we're getting about uh, the way Stalin operates here at this stage of his career and his his artistic and narrative ambitions that we have seen on display, um, I would say that this is a absolutely the fist like thrusting up from the rubble of the battle 
is a definite callback, a definite uh, reference to when we were introduced to Drax in Iron Man 55 and we got his sort of lightly sketched backstory and the the Titan, immortal Titan Kronos created him of the dust of the earth or how whatever he was supposed yeah. to create him. Um, and the first image that we saw of the in that scene of, of Drax being created by Kronos was his fist, his hand oh, you're right. the, the ground. I would say that this... I'm starting to believe there are no coincidences with with Starlin, and so I would say this is a deliberate rebirth for Jax. This is meant to be a rebirth for Jax. I'm not in any meaningful spiritual way, but it is. But again, think of the juxtapositions: Captain Marvel reborn, cosmically aware; Thanos reborn, decidedly not cosmically aware. And here we have Thanos reborn. Oh, Drax. And, well, it, I mean, Drax reborn, and well, it remains he- to be seen. If he has been changed, but it's like a deliberate, a deliberate reference and callback. Well, he will be. I mean, he will be changed in some. Well, I mean, not changed, but reborn in, by the end of this issue. Right. Exactly. So I think that's deliberate. Um, I think it's interesting to to note and to become aware of, especially on the second time around here, uh, to 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 really see how in control of his committee. Okay, not just in control. First of all, let's just be impressed. Um, because I don't think you can deny under any circumstances that Starlin is writing what is basically being sold and marketed as a punch up superhero book. Yeah. In the early 70s. And yet he is deliberately putting, he has thematic material at all in here. Okay, so that there is thematic material for us to comment on at all is worthy of. Of, of appreciation and being impressed. So that's for starters. But secondly, how in control of his magic material Starlin is, is also gobsmackingly impressive. And I, for one, am just like really being more and more in awe of Jim Starlin, like with every page that we go through here. Yeah. Besides that, yeah, no, because even if he doesn't have everything planned out, there are definitely certain beats he's, he has the story planned out enough that there are certain points he needs to get to mm-hmm. and certain, okay, when we get to this part, we're going to reference back to here because it goes back to that because that's why I'm doing this over here. So yeah, he, he's, he's plotting ahead and also, as we've noticed once we started his story, the art between issue 25 and uh, here, uh, you can see this radical oh, yeah. change. The difference in his art between 25 and which I think was the first one we did, and here is astounding. No, you can, it's been an amazing run, and thank you for including me on this journey as it is. Yeah, have, being able to watch Jim Starlin sort of become Jim Starlin on the page as we do this has been utterly remarkable. I'm just saying, th- this is a man whose artistic ambitions are undeniable and impressive in the context of the time i mean they're under they're they're impressive period but especially in context of the time in which he was working here yeah i mean there's a reason why his run and the story is still celebrated 30 yeah. 40 years later right. and think about it he wasn't he didn't have a long run he's on for like 10 issues total that's not a long run no i mean half the time we're like, why can't creators stay on these books? They're on for like half a year, six months, eight, tw- six issues, twelve issues, and they're gone. 
Right, exactly. And exactly. here, he's like, yeah, I could do a whole epic storyline that will be remembered forever in, in time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so I really want to give acknowledgement what we're seeing here because I, I don't think you can deny that, that we're actually seeing literary, thematic literary ambition on a comic book page here and the the balls it must not just not just how well he's pulling it off but the balls that it must have took to even attempt to do such a thing slip this past the editors as it were um i'm done i'm done kissing jim starlin's ass for now for let now. us uh let us move on what <laughs> have you ever read uh, a superman comic not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytube.com. So we got yeah. So we, we get the Captain Iron Man in the uh, Hall of Science, uh-huh. right? Yeah, uh-huh. Hall of Science. Exactly. Or just it's, I think it's I think it's the writer of the Hall of Justice. You say uh, Hall of Justice, and now I'm seeing that you know um, uh, uh, the stars coming together and separating uh, transitions yes. to super friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Cap even says here what you were talking we were talking about. Thanos hasn't gotten used to being a god yet. He's still handling situations one at a time instead of right. several in the same heartbeat. As I'm sure he's capable of doing. Yeah, he's he's not very good at this yet, is he? Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. And it is nice to see somebody... I do like it when they write characters intelligently. Even if crazy stuff's happening, it always drives me nuts Like when I watch like those slasher, those horror movies and the character's like, hmm... The monsters, the killer with the knife is running towards me from the back of the house. Yeah, exactly. The door's right here. There's the stairs further in. I'm going to go up the stairs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, oh, whatever. I don't care if you die. Like, once they start actually doing intelligent things, I'm I'm more interested because I'm like, ooh, hopefully they'll live because I like the intelligent person. You know, let's see what happens. Mm Mm-hmm. So here, you know, it's like, oh, good. Yes, Cap has realized. uh, Yeah, Thanos is not doing – Thanos should have killed us all in seconds. And he hasn't, so good. Cool. And uh, as we had fun with last time, he has palmed. 
again, Cosmic Cube. How do you palm? Like I've seen, I I know that we have seen you know various looks on the Cosmic Cube over the years, but in none of them was it small enough to palm. It's not dice. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not a playing card. It's the Cosmic Friggin' Cube. I think we mentioned this last time. I think it was. I think we figured out it probably was slang that Rick knows, and Cap's using it like you know, mom using slang, trying to mom or dad trying to be cool. Yeah, exactly. Using your slang when you're 15 years old, and you're like, oh god, please don't, please don't. No dad, no dad, never say woke again, please. I'm begging you. He's he's basically being the dad from Modern Family. (laughs) Which one, Phil Dunphy? Yeah, yeah. The one who thinks he's cool, and he knows all the stuff the kids know. And they're like, but, oh, God, Dad, please, no. please stop singing High School Musical. Yeah, no, no, oh, my God, no. But apparently <laughs> Thanos has Thanos has drained all power from the cube. So, um, oh, this, I love this, though, because this is so, this is, it's kind of on the nose, but Cap actually says, and I quote, we may find a way to use the cube against him if we review what's happened so far. Q recap. <laughs> well, as we've said, now, I've read a lot of Bronze Age. I haven't read everything, so I could be wrong. But for the most part, usually recaps are just done like, this is what happened previously, you know, almost like a previously. Right, exactly. Previously on, you know. Starlin seemed to like try and figure out a way to work it into the story, even if it's a little ham- heavy-handed. I, it's like, I have to put it in here instead of just kind of wasting a page, let me make it part of the story. Or like that one issue where Thanos has uh, is going through the tapes in Rick Jones' mind. Yeah, yeah. And like, it looks like, I remember I said, and I was put online, where it looks like he looks like a DJ. With that like DJ equipment. like, like yeah. with it. But it's still, at least he did something. Like that was, I still like that page. I like the way that looks at that Thanos with that equipment. So at least he's trying to do, do something with the recap page. Instead of just putting it in there somewhere. And to hand it to him, okay, now look, I'll call him on it. I spent the last page kissing his butt. Now on this page, I'm going to say, yeah, no, that is incredibly ha- clumsy, incredibly ham-fisted. And it, yeah. But to be fair, he does take it to an interesting place because at the end, by the end of their recap, they do conclude, like they do go somewhere with it. He does conclude yes. that Thanos left them alive because his ego required someone to witness his transformation into a god because without someone to see and be suitably impressed by it then what's the point like it says what fun is there becoming god if there's no one to watch no exactly and that ego okay so they have identified weakness in thanos so at least he did make some actual narrative use he wasn't just finding an excuse to spin his wheels for half a page he actually used that recap to advance the, the the plot slightly and so I will give them credit for that. Yeah. And so that and we said that before. It that's the problem for Thanos is his one of his well one of his problems is his ego. Mm-hmm. Always has been. Always although, has although I like we said I think it's a different way than Doom, whose problem is also his ego, except Doom's ego is way too high. Thanos mm-hmm. is way too low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanos needs the validation. Doom doesn't. Doom Doom would become God with no one around. He wouldn't give a crap. Now, now, um, the, the the disembodied Thanos head is ranting um, to his dark beauty. 
with yeah. like a with with multiple starlin planets behind her. Right. It, <laughs> I guess much like the Steve Ditko Doctor Strange limbo, it just don't try to make too much sense of the of the scenery. Just go with it. But I, I just I'm amused by it. I'm a go with it. So now the cosmically aware Captain Marvel, his cosmic awareness comes in handy here. He can sense Thanos focusing his attention upon them. But instead of attacking them directly, which I guess he would be too easy or something, Captain Marvel observes it himself. Instead of simply busting us into oblivion, Thanos is creating from the metal and concrete of the floor demon-like creatures whose only purpose can be to cause dot 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 our deaths. And this is what I'm talking about. That right there, that whole little speech, that's the -the over-the-top Starlin diction that I'm going to miss when Englehart takes over the scripting in the next issue. Yeah. Oh, by the way, real quick, back to Thanos doing his little ranting. Yeah. I like how he says these two are fighters and thinkers. So, what was he saying about the other? I mean, I guess Mentor is more a thinker. And I guess Moondragon is. So, what was he talk? What, what would he call his brother? Oh, he thinks Eros is a okay. I really can't say it. It is. It is. It is an amazingly unpolitically correct term um, in this day and age. But uh, yeah, he doesn't much of his brother's um, manly capability. Let's just put it that way. So I guess he puts him more as a thinker, not a fighter. Uh, he yes, or probably neither. I yeah. think he views him as neither. Yeah, I, I would think he say as a as a wastrel and a layabout. Yeah, that's kind of, I'm gonna, I'm really curious about the one he's about the stuff he's doing coming up, Starlin. With I think it's the one with Alan Davis with Thanos and Star Fox. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we really don't see too much with the two of them as brothers, and I'm really curious to see. I want to see more of that relationship. It'll it'll be interesting. Well, you know they've been actively avoiding Star Fox for the last couple of decades for obvious reasons. So yeah, we shall... but I mean, he shows up Infinity Gauntlet, but he's really just a prisoner the entire time. Right, and realize that was 25 years ago now. Yeah, like we really don't see him much involving Thanos, and I re- it's his brother, so I really right. want to see that more. Exactly, exactly. So it's time to fight the demons, yeah. the floor spawned demons. However, they are fast and strong and. And and they have no life, so they yeah. not be killed, killed per se. Uh, you punch a hole in them, and they they just they take a licking and keep them ticking. Yeah, because so, I don't care if there's oh. a hole in their chest. It's not like I have blood or a heart. Mm-hmm. And they basically uh, uh, overwhelm Iron Man and, and knock him unconscious. Yeah, they're piling on him. They're just beating the heck out of him. Oh, they are. They are brutal. Like, thankfully, he's a man in armor. Daddy, has Hulk always been green? Well, no. Daddy, has Spider-Man ever been married? Well, that's quite complicated. Daddy, does Superman have a mullet? What? No, there's no Daddy, does Howard the Duck use foil language? Okay, stop. I must have done something wrong with your education somewhere along the line, but it's time to rectify that. You mean... Don't say it! You're doing another podcast? Oh no. Podcast? Yes. Mark's Mess Podcast. An ongoing podcast to introduce and inform my children about the world of comics, science fiction, and general geekery. Join me each month along with my eldest daughter, Charlotte. Where's my fiver? And my youngest, Catherine. Me! As we explore all this together. Find us at marksmesspodcast.blogspot.co.uk On Facebook at marksmesspodcast and on Twitter at Mark's Mess Podcast without the T. A new podcast. On a new feed. 
same old Mark. <sighs> now, on the next page, which I believe is page eight now, um, the, the top two lines of panels, it's, it's weird to try and count them. In between the large panels depicting the fight and Captain Marvel sort of trying to figure out what do I do? Iron Man's been knocked out. The demons are approaching. They can't be killed. They won't stop until I'm dead. I don't know what to do. And in between these larger panels depicting this fight, we've got a, a sort of camera lens becomes numbers, becomes a like sort of projected light. And in that projected light, we see Isaac. Isaac's sort of holographic form takes shape. And it's kind of so awesome because it's like... Oh, God, yeah. You, it's, it's not only happening unnoticed by everybody on the page it's very easy for it to go unnoticed by the reader as well because your 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 eye is drawn to the larger panels it's yes. it's a it's a clever way of depicting the sort of quiet way that isaac for lack of a better way of putting it slips into being yeah, I mean, you're, you're reading this book, and you can almost, like you said, you can almost ignore that, because it almost looks like a border for the actual panels. Right. Like, it's just some kind of space doohickey stuff that Starlin drew to drew on the edge, like, around around Marvel and all that. Exactly. And then you get to the next page, where I, you know, and pages two later, where Isaac interacts with him. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, several pages later. But, yeah. And then, like, you go back and go, wait a minute, where'd that guy, that's where he comes from. And then we move on to uh, more ranting, disembodied Thanos head. Yeah, and we learn how pathetic this all really is, and I think, again, this is deliberately speaks to the smallness and pettiness of Thanos' character, how he has all the power of the universe, and yet he he means it only to be a token to his, his would-be romantic interest, which I guess is romantic in a sort of way but it's also like really petty and desperate don't you think well it is empathetic because yeah this is something we talked about my brother and i when we were recording for deadpool versus thanos 2 okay is that she does not care about him at all right he is right. on the hook because he does stuff for her and mm-hmm. that's it and she he- has zero interest in dating him and he will do anything yeah. For her. And it's and it's not just a weird kind of emotionally abusive relationship, if you want to get into it on that level. But frankly, it's really, uh, really dangerous because it fucks up the universe for her. Yeah. Considering, in fact, who she is, she really, very rarely does she have to care. Right. Exactly. Exactly. She's good no matter what, right? But thankfully, this all of this ranting and pathetic, pathetic teenage boy posturing leads to this patent issues super impressive awesome double page spread yeah because, oh you know, yeah with, with the, the destroyer makes showing and re-entrance and attacks thanos somehow oh I mean, he's I'm, attacking the outline of Thanos that he has right exactly which knowing and, thanos he probably took a whole bunch of stars from all over and brought them over into one section so he can make his face right because that's exact. but i love this because you know Drax, you know he is he is the Wagnerian hero of his own story. I live for one reason to destroy you, right? It's this grandiose operatic yeah. thing. And Thanos, I love Thanos's response here, you know, because it's this big thing. And Thanos is like the Destroyer. 
will I ever be rid of your annoying insanity? He basically calls him a flea. And I'm sorry, that is awesome and hilarious. He, no, he said, you are less than a flea to me destro- now, Destroyer. And that's just kind of so dismissive. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah, no, it, it is. Plus, it is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a really, this is, this is, this is super impressive, yeah. Yeah, Drax blasting Thanos and Death standing there in that tall, like, butte or butt or whatever it's called in, like, yeah. the desert, it looks like, with I mean, all the stars and planets behind them. Yeah, just look at the layout, the composition, I mean, it's just a fantastic piece of comic book art. Okay, maybe he meant it this way, maybe he didn't. Okay. I don't know. But since he is doing the art and coloring, mm-hmm. I have to wonder if he did. Look at the stars behind Death and the planets all there. Yeah. Do you know how, like, you could look, it's pink, blue, pink, blue, pink, blue, pink, blue. Look at the yeah. shape. Doesn't it kind of look like a heart? A little bit, yeah. Yes, I do. Yes, it does. Huh. There's no way to know if that's delivered. I suppose it could possibly be. Well, I mean, the reason I asked, I mentioned it is because he did know what he was doing. You know, he had a pretty good idea of what he was doing with Thanos. And also, he is doing the art and the writing, yeah. or at least most of it, and the coloring. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. This is this is completely, because of that kind of complete control, he totally could do that. Um, the only thing that would dissuade me is I get the sense, and I think he would agree with me, that um, Thanos is, like, any... Of all of the ways that Thanos' love, that Thanos' feelings for death could be expressed, could be communicated, a heart would be like one of the least likely icons no, to that, depict. That is feelings. true, and that's maybe why it's a, sub, it's a subtle, you know, that's true, but it does look like one, so. Like, as deep as, as deep and genuine, let's, let's give the guy credit, as deep and genuine as his feelings apparently are for for her. I really can't see uh, Thanos expressing himself like like trying to get uh, get to her. But I heart you. You complete me. <laughs> like like he's working on a completely different axis here. You I know compl- what I'm saying? You completely. Here's a body. <laughs> exactly. It's like a skull. Like he like he would say I heart you. Only it wouldn't be a heart. It would be a skull. I skull you. I skull you. <laughs> I skull you. <laughs> So, um... That's how they text. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's probably adorable. I scold you. The adorable romance of, of Thanos and death. So, the fight goes on, and Drax is sadly, utterly outmatched. I mean, that is clear from the beginning. His... I know that he has... His only purpose in life, his only... Like mode of of continuing on from one moment to the next is to continue putting up this fight. Really, it is so futile at this point that it is kind of pathetic in its own way. Yeah, well, a little more than kind of pathetic sometimes. Yeah, Thanos puts the mind whammy jammy on him, and you can tell because his face gets all just dis- does that gets- distort like Funhouse Mirror look. Right, exactly, and we're going to our psychedelic Starlin space again, and now we get the Grand Thanos Origin flashback, which takes only less than two pages. Again, you have comment, you commented it on War Al, and it bears repeating here um, that Starlin's efficiency as a storyteller is frankly admirable. The way he can tell these, he can get a lot of information across, and part of it, frankly, is the 
standards and practices of early 1970s comic book telling. We were used to more panels. We were used to more words. We were There's 11 of panels denser. on this page. Right. More, it's, it's denser storytelling. It's more um, uh, packed. Uh, it's not the sort of decompressed naturalistic storytelling that we're used to here in the 21st century. That said, it is still worth admiring how he can tell a story that is both packed with information and feels epic in literally a page and a third. Yeah. Here. And also, good job. Like, again, this is why I say planning, because this definitely, I mean, obviously we find out why by the end of the page, but if you, if you, this is your first time reading this and you were reading the whole run, you'd be like, oh, wow, this looks like what they did with uh, Moondragon, with her, or, oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we find out that he is Moondragon's father. Mm-hmm. And that when the Thanos ship saw, you know, saw the car and blasted it, she lived, but the parents died. Right. Um, and then his soul was taken by Kronos and put into the body of the Destroyer. I do like that the that Thanos is narrating this. He's taking this delicious, sadistic glee and narrating this horrible, horrible event. Um, and I just love, there's this one, it's very slim vertical panel. It is all black with just the words inside it. Then you die. And like the season there is, I mean, Thanos, we like to mock him a little bit. You know, he's a pathetic, love struck schoolboy, whatever. He's so bad at being a god, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it does need to be reminded that he is a powerful being and he is thoroughly, reprehensibly, stomach-turningly malevolent. He is a bad, bad guy. And for all that we make a little bit of fun of him, that needs to be, uh, re- we need to be reminded of that, and this is a good job of that. Oh, and by the way, Sardoon actually is a character. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, he, so he's made other appearances besides just this one panel flashback. Yes. Now, granted, for the most part, it looks like years later, but they... Um, oh, actually, I'm looking at it right now. He did appear in an issue or two of Warlock and the Infinity Watch. Okay. But also, he apparently, when they did, um, after the Guardians movie, when they kind of made Star-Lord's origin a bit closer to the movies. Okay. He was one of the Ravagers, it said, so he does have a history of Star-Lord. And also, he was part, if you remember the storyline the other year, from was a crossover between Guardians of the Galaxy and all-new X-Men, the Black Vortex. Yes, yes, I did read that. He was in that. He was one of the guys trying to get the Black Vortex for uh, Mr. Knife, who was uh, Star-Lord's father. Yes, yes, and I'm now I'm glad I read like, it, because that would have been a big fat spoiler, but yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I don't think that was a spoiler. I think they, they were pretty upfront about who Mr. Knife was quickly. Okay, no, that's fair, that's fair. Plus, it's several years ago now, so, yeah. you know, it's pre-Secret Wars, so... But, just pointing out that that's actually was a character, it wasn't just a one, because they, na- they actually do name him, as yeah. opposed to just having nameless Badoon next to him, which they could have. You know, um, no, true. But also, I mean, you look at this now and then go back to the issue where they have Thanos and uh, the Destroyer have that mind war for, over the Cosmic mm-hmm. Cube. And mm-hmm. you look at all those images and like 90 percent of the you know, when they show the inside of Drax's head, like all these bizarre it's like a bizarre, surreal landscape mm-hmm. with all these images and 95 percent of them. You now can go back and go that makes- now it all makes sense with this. So he had to know then, like, he didn't make this up for this issue. He knew 
then what uh, Drax's uh, backstory was. Exactly. That's and probably Moon that's, Dragons too, because I'm pretty sure yeah. there's something about a good little girl in there or something that for her. Because yeah. I, I, think, I think there's like an image of Vegas and something else. And I mean, he also threw in like one or two red herrings, like random like alien things. Like I think there's an alien thing where you see the tail end of it going in one, like the top panel and the, the head coming out the bottom panel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's all there. So like he planned this out months ago. Uh, before we move on to the flashback, can we just take one quick moment to just contemplate the fol- that this sentence came out of the mouth of Thanos. Thanos the Mad Titan. Okay? You had gone to the International Hotel in Las Vegas to see your singing idol, Elvis Presley. Like, I get that he is doing a, a weird, horrible, sadistic this is your life to Arthur Douglas slash Drax the Destroyer, but still, still, for the word your singing idol, Elvis Presley, just to, just for those to be coming out of the mouth of Thanos the Mad Titan is interesting. And I'll leave it at that. Hail to the king, baby. <laughs> That's it for this episode. We'll be back in just a few weeks with the second half of Captain Marvel 32. And in the meantime, if you want to, please send us a message. Drop us a line. Tell us what you think. Go to our Facebook page. Use the search box in, t- in Facebook and type in either Adam Warlock or Thanos. We're like the second or third thing that's going to pop up on there. Go to our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. And of course, you can always send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Don't forget, go to the Pop Culture Palace at thepopculturepalace.com. My other podcast is hosted there, The Pop Culture Palace Presents. All right, time to get back to our ongoing project of thanking the people who have followed our Tumblr page. This episode, we'd like to thank Joe Kidd, that's two eyes, Dr. Bargain, Emma Marvel, Pat1D, and Secret Mantra. Last episode, episode 62, was liked and retweeted on Twitter by a bunch of people. I'd like to thank all of them. It was retweeted by Matches Balone, Justice's First Dawn, Trucker Talk, Nathan, Three people like this, between the pages, out of the fridge, RAD adventures, Xenozoic xenophiles, Christianin, Dylan A. Lang, Jason Snick Venable, Reggie Reggie, I love saying Reggie Reggie, Jeffrey Brown, I'm the Gun, LO four five six, Coffee and Comics, and Joe Crawford, and it was liked by DSNRS, Matches Balone, Justice's First Dawn, Trucker Talk, BJ Harris, Sage Briner, Out of the Fridge. R.A.D. Adventures, J.L.I. Podcast, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Chris Sheenan, Jason Snick, Venable, Reggie Reggie, I'm the Gun, Coffee and Comics, Chris Wifkinson, and Joe Crawford. Also, I'm the Gun did a separate retweet of this, where they one of those retweets where you put it in your own tweet, and that itself was retweeted by Trekker Talk and Between the Pages, and liked by DSNRS and Trekker Talk. Also, we actually had a little bit of conversation going on about that about the uh, that post for that episode. Remember, this was the one part of the best event ever crossover where we covered Justice League Europe Annual 3. Joe Crawford said, Enjoyed the episode. I always liked JLE. Worried it didn't hold up for you. Which I told him I remember liking it, but 
I'm hoping this annual is the exception, because I did like Justice League Europe when it was coming out. And he did think we had good points about Power Girl and her temper, which I thought that they went too far in this issue with her temper. She was like 1980s Guy Gardner, but without any restraint. And Scott Hutchins responded on there as well, saying he almost finished getting together all the parts we can read this. He's having trouble finding issue two of Eclipse of the Darkness of Finn, Batman, and Detective. Uh, actually, just got a response a couple hours ago from him because I had asked if he had any luck. He said, not yet. Midtown's website is two out of three. So he's almost there to have a full collection of Eclipse of the Darkness Within. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> and remember, if you're looking for this podcast, you can always find it on iTunes, Podbean, the Internet Archive at archive.org, and... This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.